Blog Talk Radio. Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host and shepherd, Jake Counts, navigating you through this crazy world that we live in. And uh, once again, thank you to everybody that tunes in here live and making me a part of your Tuesday and Thursday night. Very much appreciated. It is the 26th day of November 2013, and I will be live here for the next hour covering a host of topics and some um, late news and also some thought-provoking material, so thank you so much for tuning in to the show this evening. Now, the first thing I wanted to talk about is um, as we move through the interesting times ahead with the Iran deal, which is not really a deal, and I'll get into that a little bit later, um, you start to see um, geopolitics becoming very, very interesting with um, the United States and um, and China, amongst other nations in the world, the Fed has actually come out and recognized Bitcoin as an alternative, which the significance behind that I will get into later as well. Because remember, Einstein said in order to solve a problem, it cannot be solved in the same consciousness that it was created. So that being said, um, we have to think of um, solutions outside of the Federal Reserve System in order to get our global capitalist economy under control. And therefore, from that point on forward, we can start making some real changes, not only in policy, but um, taking the money out of war is going to be the biggest challenge that we face as a species. And it is one of the things that we have to get people alerted to in that war is a racket, as Smedley Butler said. And that once you have taken the profit out of war, then war becomes a basically an anathema. Now, of course, you will have squabbles and conflicts, but they won't have necessarily the um, the punch and in, in, in the media nor public support that um, that our wars here in the United States have had over the last 30 years. So, once again, thank you for joining me. I thought I would start tonight off with a little bit of enlightenment. As, um, as anybody that tunes into the show on a regular basis, I like to chat about my enlightenment because we're all changing. We're all growing, we're, or you should be at least. You should be striving to learn new things. You should be striving to help gain a greater knowledge over um, this vast universe that we live in and, and this very limited spectrum that we actually exist on, this very small plane of existence that you and I actually breathe oxygen and and um, exhale carbon dioxide and um, and try to make sense of the world in this limited time frame and this limited scope that we have on this planet. And it can be taken from you very quickly. And so that is why you must make the most of every day, must make the most of every opportunity that you have in order to bring yourself towards enlightenment. Or you just become one of the sheep, which we all um, we all fear, and that's one of the things that I try to push out into the ether is that um, we all need to be free-thinking individuals using tools like the trivium and, and other um, methodologies of thinking in order to discern what is real and what is not real, what is, um, what is an illusion and what is actually true and what is real. So that being said, here is Alan Watt on the illusion – and it's called this this um, audio clip. You can find it on YouTube. The, the visuals are pretty stunning as well. But it's a little um, audio clip by Alan Watts, who passed away not uh, not too long ago. And um, it's a very poignant for what I'm going to be talking about tonight, when we're going to be talking about cognition and trying to get everybody on the same page, as and, and informing them at the same time, and and not any. Um, not in a badgering and belittling way. Remember, we're all in this together, and at uh, some point in time, we were we were all sheep. So here is Alan Watts with the clip, and I'll be back on the backside. So enjoy. Enjoy. 
in music one doesn't make the end of a composition the point of the composition if that were so the best conductors would be those who played faster and there would be composers who wrote only finales <laughs> people go to concerts just to hear one crashing chord because that's the end <laughs> but we don't see that as uh, something brought by our education into our everyday conduct. We've got a system of schooling which gives a completely different impression. It's all graded. And what we do is we put the child into the corridor of this grade system with a kind of, come on, kitty, kitty, kitty. And yeah, you go to kindergarten, you know. And that's a great thing because when you finish that, you'll get into first grade. And then, come on, first grade leads to second grade and so on. And then you get out of grade school and you go to high school and it's revving up, the thing is coming, then you're going to go to college, and by Jove, then you get into graduate school, and when you're through with graduate school, you go out to join the world. And then you get into some racket where you're selling insurance. And they've got that quota to make. And you're going to make that. And all the time, this thing is coming. It's coming. It's coming. That great thing, the, the success you're working for. Then when you wake up one day about 40 years old, you say, my God, I've arrived. <laughs> I'm there. And you don't feel very different from what you always felt. And there's a slight letdown because you feel there's a hoax. And there was a hoax. A dreadful hoax. They made you miss everything. We thought of life by analogy with a journey, with a pilgrimage, which had a serious purpose at the end. And the thing was to get to that end. Success or whatever it is, or maybe heaven after you're dead. But we missed the point the whole way along. It was a musical thing and you were supposed to sing or to dance while the music was being played. And that's the theory of life, everybody. In a nutshell, the theory of life is that you shouldn't be thinking about the end game. You shouldn't be thinking about retirement. Obviously, that's something that you would, you would like to think about. You would like to put some money aside. But I think we run into a very, very strong paradigm. And that means we're conditioned to respond in certain ways, especially here in America um, through the educational system that we have set up. You're, you're, you're basically conditioned to respond through emotion. Um, facts and, and um, common sense are actually never really put into the equation. It's, it's a purely emotional response that we're supposed to get. And we see this a lot in politics, especially in American politics. You see it um, um, political ideologies all across the spectrum because there are things that do provoke a, a very emotional response, like war, for instance, and um, gay marriage, and all of these galvanizing topics typically provoke some kind of response and an emotional response. But what the challenge is, is moving past the emotional response and, and looking at things um, from a, a very analytical point of view, using um, the trivium as a great, you know, obviously tool to use, the uh, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, to make sure, first of all, using the grammar, making sure that we're all on the same page, um, the logic and how it fits into the actual structure and, and the belief system that we have, and then the rhetoric of what that um, so-called ideology propagates. But we're, we're missing that from our educational system. It's, it's well known as a classical education, but here in America, it's just something we don't receive. So therefore, you have to teach these things to yourself. And once again, it's not to say that, um, that I'm extremely intelligent and you're extremely uh, un uninformed or uneducated. It's just that you haven't been given the tools in order to make sense of the of the um, the basically haphazardness that's in front of you. And once you start utilizing these tools and the more you use them, you will see that life is a lot less complex because of the way that it's basically structured in front of you. Television news currently is not, um, is not there to inform you. I had a conversation with my mom, and I, and I threw out some information at her that she said, well, I haven't heard that on the news, and, and, and I kind of chuckled and laughed, and I said, you know, it's funny to me that that you still consider um, Fox and CNN news sources because they're not. It's it's infotainment now. It's not really news. It's um, propagated spin from an establishment perspective, or at least it has um, great oversight in order to not rock the boat. 
Because when you start rocking the boat of things that actually benefit you, like um, large corporations and um, and congressmen that you have in your pocket in order to push agendas that you think are you know, socially acceptable and and things of that nature, then you um, you run into a system like we have now that is completely corrupt, and nobody's going to nobody's going to deny that now. But the question is, how do we unravel the corruption? How do we, how do we reverse engineer all this stuff? Well, we first have to get to the point of the problem. And the root of the problem is that there has been a small group of people working behind the scenes, not necessarily in a smoky room, but through um, what are called um, think tanks and working groups that, um, that basically each working group has their own specific section and they have their own specific task at hand. And if you have a do if you do actually have a very good working group that's already been effective and and has a has a big voice, then typically what will happen is one of these large foundations or one of these large corporations will come in and and buy up the um, the actual um, foundation or whichever PR firm is doing very well and uh, keep the brand image the same, so the image and the symbol and all that stuff will be the same. But the ideology behind the scenes will be different. You saw this with uh, Brzezinski, and that's who I couldn't remember last week, and it was really kind of disheartening when I was trying to um, – when I was talking to Trip Pugh about this, when I was reading Brzezinski's book about um, the the world after America. Um, Brzezinski was actually a um, think tank member, and um, he moved out of um, Jimmy Carter's uh, cabinet. He was actually the guy that Jimmy Carter had in charge of policy. And so read the people that write the policies for the presidents. Because um, when the president has a policy, it's not typically his policy per se. It's the establishment policy that he's out to go out and sell to the American people. Um, specifically, Barack Obama is a is a very good example of this. Uh, Barack Obama, I don't believe, would have any vitriol towards the American people. But then again, there have been rumblings, and and of course, these rumblings come from a conservative slanted, you know, um, news source. But e- either way. There have been rumblings that he is um, that he's very reclusive, that he is very um, secluded, and that um, he has a little bit of disdain for the general public. Which um, I guess the more enlightened we all get, um, the, uh, we all have uh, somewhat disdain for the public because they don't think in the same terms and um, use the same kind of, um, I guess, discernment that that um, that people that have already figured most of this information out, or have at least had their mind open to the idea that there's something bigger than government at work here, um, trying to um, unify the world and not in a very um, not in a very sanctimonious type of way. It's very um, it's for it's for their gain, not uh, the gain of humanity. All the while selling it that it's in the gain of humanity and it's for your best interests. And here's a, here's a very good example. Well, of that. we negotiated two side agreements that protect labor and protect the environment. And not until the two side agreements were completed uh, did we agree to support NAFTA. Now, this is a good deal for our country, Larry, and let me... So there is a member of the global elite, a actually a phoner or owner of um, Gore and Blood, or and I think it's actually Gore and Blood. It's not Blood and Gore, but that's the name of the firm that he's involved in that um, it actually owns the majority of the carbon exchange. And that's why Al Gore, um, starting in the mid-90s, started to push carbon taxes because not that he cares so much about the environment and that he's an environmentalist and all of this stuff. He's a, he's a kleptocratic um, slave pimp for the most part. Doesn't care about you, doesn't care about your family. There was a big um, write-up, and you can go research this if you'd like, in his house in Tennessee, after he talked about global warming and all of these things, it, um, his house in Tennessee actually used more power, and he would leave lights on while he was gone, um, used more power than I think it was um, two whole city blocks in Tennessee. So it just goes to show you that the ruling class of America, which there is a ruling class, but you never see them. They're not going to come out and you know daunt thrones and, um, and big crystalline glasses and stuff like that, they wouldn't dare do that because that would give up the game. Part of the game for them is staying hidden, and part of the fun for them is watching you um, 
basically muddle through life and put up with their BS. And I'm here to say that I'm done putting up with their BS. And yes, it's it's time for everybody to start saying that. So that yields its way to a set of solutions. Now, what's going to happen, what has happened any time that the, the banking oligarchs have taken control in any country, whether it's, um, whether it's Russia, whether it's, I mean, the list goes on and on. It just depends on um, what their modus operandi is in that nation, what their, what their end goal is, and um, what they're trying to extract. Remember, when thinking in terms of the global elite, it is all about extraction as well as leverage. Those are the two big terms that you need to understand and, um, and see how they utilize leverage and extraction in order to get what they want with, um, with minimal risk and also with um, plausible deniability, which would mean the, um, the separation of the actual end goal by middle management and utilizing middle management to accomplish the end goal and never really getting to the top of the pyramid, so to speak. So that being said, we are now in a position where there is a new ideology a-brewing. And yes, it would scare the establishment. And there's another thing that scares the establishment, and that is, um, that is people joining together under different flags. And I don't mean different flags as far as nations go. I mean different flags as far as um, political ideologies or political um, what, your, what your specific um, solution would be to, to the current situation at hand with humanity. Because it is a human, we are now at a point where it is not just an American issue. It's a human issue. And it's, it's about our survival as human beings. The financial system, the way that it's set up currently, is predestined to fail. Now, is it set up to fail? No, it wasn't designed to fail initially. But the way that the EU was set up, that was designed to fail. It was designed for consolidation, once again, trying to figure out what the elite want and then how the elite go about getting it. Now, the elite wanted consolidation of wealth, and then at the end, they always would like either some sort of feudalism or, um, or communism because the way that communism works, that it leverages out economics completely and leaves the state or some governing body in charge of pretty much everything. And you, if you've read any um, economics, you understand that, um, that typically those kind of delivery systems never work. But um, now they will sell you on the idea of, well, the reason that Soviet Russia didn't work out is because they didn't have the technology to figure out all the uh, distribution models and stuff like that, and, which is true. But it doesn't mean that it will work currently because you will always have oligarchies that do get behind the scenes and get behind any of these agreements, so-called agreements, and will manipulate it as we're seeing with the TPP. Now, the TPP is something just outside of government. Once again, most people can't wrap their brains around the fact that corporations now act as governments. And in most cases, many corporations, I think the top 50, are larger than um, most of the GDP of the entire um, nation states of the world. So you have to take that into account as well. So... We're looking at a system that is now rushing towards implosion, and the reason it is is because, yes, the bankers got greedy, but also the bankers set up a system that wasn't sustainable. The amount of um, money that they could lend and the way that they lent the money, creating money out of thin air, and then charging interest on it. Remember, once you create the money, you have to create more money to pay off the interest. So it becomes this ever-exploding bubble, and that's why you have to keep printing money in a Keynesian philosophy. Now, I don't want to sit here and argue economic semantics with people all day. Let's just face the facts that we have problems and we have to find solutions. So, um, solution number one, um, some sort of alternative currency. Now, currently, a hot-button topic with myself, amongst um, a lot of other people in the off-mainstream media or the alternative media, would be... Um, things like Bitcoin or Litecoin. And the reason that they are very popular now is because they've already gone through their growth phase. They've already been acknowledged by foreign investment groups that says this is stable, this could work. And then you have people that write hit pieces a lot of the times. And it's okay to write a hit piece because it's okay to be skeptical of these things. And I don't 
I, I would hope that Bitcoin would actually work out and be some semblance of an alternative currency. But the typical demonization campaign that will go along with Bitcoin or Litecoin or any encrypted currency will be – it will be used for doing things on the black market. Well, anybody that understands true capitalism and not crony capitalism like we have now, once again, using grammar, logic, and rhetoric, we have to understand the difference between capitalism and crony capitalism. Now, if I went and asked a bleeding-heart liberal or a communist tomorrow what the definition of capitalism is, and I use this example ad nauseum on my show because you have to. We have to get it through their head that we're all not talking about the same system. If you ask a true hardcore communist or a left-wing liberal what capitalism is, they will say it's the American system, and it is completely not the American system. The American system consists of bailouts. It consists of central banking, which is actually a communist idea, but we'll leave that be. If you read the Communist Manifesto, it's one of the planks in there. So let's go ahead and just say that America acts as kind of a quasi-communist, mainly a um, – we're mainly a fascist state now, ruled by authority. That's all it is. So anyway, moving on from that. The Bitcoin ideology takes the example of what I said earlier about Albert Einstein saying that you cannot solve a problem with the same consciousness that the problem originated. Now, the problem originated from the bankers creating this um, Federal Reserve system that actually lends money to governments and other foreign agencies in order to profit, in order to make guaranteed profit. Remember, they create the money out of nothing, loan it to you with interest that they have to print more money to pay off the interest. Because there's not enough money in the money supply in order to pay back the initial note plus the interest. So you have to print money to create the money that pays back the interest. I hope you followed that because that was kind of a roundabout way, but we're going to get there soon, and then I'm going to break into the news for the last half hour. So now we've created Bitcoin, which is a truly encrypted currency outside. It's a peer-to-peer -peer transfer of wealth. So imagine this. The best way to describe Bitcoin, I have um, – let's take a, a Federal Reserve note, for example. I have 10 Federal Reserve notes in my pocket. My friend who lives next door to me wants to sell me an old Xbox game for 10 Federal Reserve notes. Currently, what I would do is I would go over, I would hand him cash, and then technically, depending on how much money he makes on selling old games, he would have to file that money and get taxed on it. Once you reach a certain threshold. So let's see, the game was probably a bad example. Let's say a car. Let's say he wants to sell me his car for $1,000 or $10,000. That's an even better example because then you would actually have to go put filings in for you know, capital gains and, such, and, and so on. So he would go with the private sale, and I would go and give him the $10,000 in cash, and then he would claim that as income, and then he would be taxed on that at the end of the year through his tax returns. What would happen with Bitcoin is I would have my cell phone or my computer. He would have his cell phone and his computer. We would make a mutual agreement, probably sign a contract, which is where a lot of – once again, this is where a lot of the voluntarists and, um, and anarcho-capitalists like myself would look to see many more contracts, person-to-person -person contracts, than governmental or corporate contracts. So that being said, once again, tabling that argument for a little while or tabling that uh, thought, he and I make the, the idea that we're going to create a means of exchange. So we decide that $10,000 is a fair price. I send him at the current rate of Bitcoin. I think it's over $950 now. So I would send him roughly um, 1,100 Bitcoin, and he would um, receive those Bitcoin. Now, number one, the transaction would be completely anonymous. So even if the bank saw he had incoming Bitcoin, they couldn't find out who sent the Bitcoin to him. And number two, that they can't track that because the encryption doesn't even allow them to see what goes into the wallet. So it's basically like I would imagine $10,000 in his account and it would be there, but it actually happened. So the reason that the system doesn't like it is because it's not tangible and they can't really regulate it. So they're always going to demonize Bitcoin and Litecoin as something that's going to be used on quote-unquote black markets. Where if you understand true, true, true capitalism, which most people argue is a, um, is a, um, a no true Scotsman fallacy, but I can prove that wrong. 
True capitalism would mean that there would be no regulations in a means of exchange, whether it's um, any good or service. So let's say that um, Silk Road is a great example. That was a true capitalistic free market, and the reason it's called a free market is no matter what you would like, you can actually get it there as long as you pay the asking price of the person going to provide the good or service. Now, the reason they call it a black market is not so is, – is just because it's not state-sponsored. So you would have people like – um, selling pot on there, or selling uh, magic, or selling psilocybin mushrooms, or things like that, that are not state-sponsored drugs, but um, you know, so therefore it's considered black because the state doesn't recognize it as a as a substance that it deems worthy of human consumption, which that's a whole other argument for a whole other time. So. As we see the rise of these cryptocurrencies and we see the way that they're shared throughout the entire world, and now you're seeing um, members of finance starting to understand that, um, hey, this might be a good investment tool because the fact that we're already dealing in ones and zeros anyway. And that's the, that's the other argument against Bitcoin is that, well, you never really have a tangible asset. There's nothing really backing it. Well, yes, there is. There's only a certain amount of ones and zeros are actually keystrokes that you can create to create these Bitcoin. And the way that the Bitcoin is structured, it becomes a controlled co economy because – and I don't mean a, a, a controlled, um, controlled volume. That's probably a better word. So over time, Bitcoin – you'll be able to mine Bitcoin as long as you want, and they're going to create this large swell of Bitcoin. And then over time, they're going to shave it down until they get to the magic number, and I think it was something like 200 um, – I think it was 200 million Bitcoin or something like that. It's, it's an extremely high number, but once again, you can use fractions and fractions and fractions of decimal points. So it's not getting tied into this two-decimal-point system that we have now, and that's why you see an inflated currency is because they're running out of spaces. Remember, they need to print more money because they need more money in the money supply to pay that interest. So the reason – last but not least – the reason that Bitcoin will succeed and will probably get pushed down by the establishment, even though Bernanke said it is a viable alternative now – is that there's too much money to be weighed in Washington, D.C. for them to go and sponsor Bitcoin because of the special interests involved. And that is where we run into the key problem. The key problem is not the alternative currency. The key problem is getting the corporations to act like human beings. Remember, corporations by law are deemed to be human beings. But the challenge is, is that corporations are to make profits at all costs, correct? So if your job as a human is to go out and make profit at all costs, what are you going to do? You're going to kill people and take their money. It's the easiest way to go. That's what corporations do. They don't have any moral compass. They don't have any emotional attachment to you, the human being. That's why you see GMOs. That's why you see BPA. That's why you see all these other additives. That's why you see every plastic on the planet and all of these other products all over the world contain, contain corn because it's government subsidized. So people make money off of putting corn in everything, and that's why corn is in everything. A chicken McNugget is actually 80% corn. So what is the real problem here? What is the challenge? The challenge is railing in the corporations and just changing a little bit of the language so that corporations actually have to act like good stewards of the earth because currently they don't. All they have to do is pay in fines, and as we just discussed a few minutes ago, fines are just ones and zeros in a computer, and it doesn't really matter to them. And all of these government contractors that get paid millions and millions of dollars to um, create new weapons and new tools of war, well, guess what? If you create new tools of war, you're going to want to use those tools because you've got another batch coming out. And so you're going to propagate and even push conflict around the world so that you can sell more trinkets and more baubles in order to make greater and greater profits. Because remember, at the end of the day, corporations by definition are psychopaths. They are to profit at all costs. So that's my lesson for today. Now we're going to get into the news, everybody. So speaking of tools of war, more drone strikes in Yemen. And now I'm going to go to an RT report that was filed, uh, I believe, yesterday about these drone strikes that are happening still, even after President said he was going to you know, tone it down a little bit. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. Remember, 
Share the podcast with people you know, people you like. And please check out my new video that I just did. It's from the pasture, episode two, and the title is We Are All Criminals. And I think I did a pretty decent job for my second episode. Um, I, I need to speed up my speech a little bit. I need to um, kind of make some tweaks, but um, kind of proud of it. I thought it was pretty fun, but um, at least it gets people thinking. So once again, if you enjoy the message that I share with everyone, then propagate my message, and let's have a conversation. I don't have all the answers, but gosh darn it, together as a collective consciousness, we can probably solve a lot of these damn – excuse me – probably solve a lot of these damn problems here on the planet. And in the meantime, we can probably save hundreds of thousands of lives, you know, even though, according to Russell Simmons, Obamacare has already saved hundreds of thousands, even not, if not millions of lives. So here is, the, um, here is the clip on the drone strikes from the RT report. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. You are listening to We Are Not Cattle Radio, and I am your shepherd, Jake Counts leading you through the ether into conscious awakening and hopefully a little bit more clarity. Well, the Obama administration is willing to step up drone strikes in Yemen even further, despite no precise intelligence on terrorist targets there. That's according to a report from Washington. And this may be well sending chills down the spines of ordinary Yemenis who are bearing the brunt of the unmanned attacks. By some estimates, for every one terrorist taken out by a drone strike, 50 civilians are killed. More details now from Artis Yegor Piskinov. Recent research suggests that since 2002, U.S. drone strikes in Yemen have claimed the lives of over 870 people. 99% of those victims were killed under the Obama administration, 38 since late July alone. Washington claims most of them were suspected al-Qaeda terrorists, but locals are painting a different picture. It's hard to verify the exact number of civilian deaths. Eyewitness reports are often contradictory, and the bodies of those killed in drone strikes are sometimes too badly charred to be identified. In September last year, 13 civilians were killed, including women and children, near the village of Rada in eastern Yemen. U.S. officials were anonymously quoted as saying their intended target was completely missed and the incident was a mistake, but no official acknowledgement or apology followed. Here's another example, this time from 2011. Conflicting reports blame a drone strike for the deaths of up to 50 people, including around 30 civilians, after a police station fell under militant control. Washington maintained its stance of not commenting on individual cases. All these drone strikes in Yemen, at least 79 in total under President Obama, are done in the name of counterterrorism, fighting al-Qaeda's offshoot on the Arabian Peninsula, known as AQAP. But there are suggestions that such attacks, combined with civilian deaths, destroyed homes, and crippling poverty, are actually drawing people closer to AQAP, something even President Obama acknowledges. Now, this is not to say that the risks are not real. Any U.S. military action in foreign lands risks creating more enemies and impacts public opinion overseas. The very precision of drone strikes and the necessary secrecy often involved in such actions can end up shielding our government from the public scrutiny that a troop deployment invites. It can also lead a president and his team to view drone strikes as a cure-all for terrorism. Locals say as soon as the dust settles from drone attacks, AQAP arrived on the scene rebuilding homes and offering to pay funeral costs, turning the U.S. policy into an ideal recruitment tool. And although the strikes are conducted with the go-ahead from the Yemeni government, every civilian death is likely to fuel resentment in the country, meaning America may unintentionally be doing al-Qaeda's PR and recruitment on their behalf. We spoke to Rahib Badi, an advisor to Yemen's prime minister, who says that it's a clear-cut fact that America's drone strategy isn't working. Otherwise, its foreign forays would be over by now. It does not simply come down to how many deaths have been caused by the drones. We believe that if drone strikes were capable of putting an end to terrorism, the U.S. would have already ended terrorism both in Pakistan and in Iraq. A successful strategy cannot rely on sheer military force alone, because it is much more than a security threat. The underlying causes of terrorism are in the political, social, educational, and mostly economic problems of our country. We believe that bloodshed can only lead to more bloodshed. Therefore, drone strikes cannot be a viable solution to this problem.
America's drone strategy is finding much approval at home, with recent surveys suggesting that up to 65% of U.S. citizens say yes to strikes abroad. Foreign policy expert Robert Nyman believes that that is mostly because Washington refuses to lift the veil of secrecy. We should all be troubled about uh, a secret war that's conducted according to secret law. The Obama administration refuses to disclose the legal memos purporting to explain why the policy is legal and constitutional. The American people aren't getting the information they would need to come to an informed decision about this policy. And while, you know, we should hold the media to a high standard, the government is making their job very difficult with the secrecy, the clampdown in information, the crackdown on whistleblowers, the refusal to disclose basic information like who we're fighting, how many people have been killed, how many civilians uh, have been killed, what's the legal justification. The, the Obama administration is refusing to disclose any of this information, and that makes it much harder for the media to do their job. Absolutely, but it's done like that on purpose. And what I mean by that is that there is a vested interest to keep having drone strikes. There is a vested interest to continue to push war and propagate war all over the globe. Once again, Smedley Butler's war is a racket. You need to understand what you're going through here, everyone. What we're going through is a very, very difficult time in human history where I sit in literally the belly of the empire trying to warn people of the most devastating empire this world has ever seen. 700 military bases around the world, and that might be just really, really light. Imagine that. Imagine if you were not an American citizen, if you had 700 military bases. Let's say that here's – a, here's a good one for you. What if, what if Germany had a military base here, given their history? How would Americans feel about that? Well, I understand it's not very comforting to think about that because after World War II, we were touted as the good guys. Well, guess what? The bankers took over about 1962-63, murdered your president in broad daylight. It was not a conspiracy over Executive Order 11110. That was a start, but it was, um, that was mainly a, just a, a fiscal transaction of Federal Reserve notes. It wasn't anything great, but it was a start. Now, not to make out a banker's you know, child as being some heroine, but LBJ was the one that was going to propagate the message of the establishment and the elite. And that was, we are going to continue the war. Remember, Kennedy was making peace with the Russians. Kennedy was you know, dissolving the Cuban Missile Crisis. Kennedy was also trying to get things done in Vietnam. So, what do we have? We have a situation here where special interests above government in cahoots with the CIA murdered your president in broad daylight. And that's not conspiracy theory. 80% of Americans believe that there was a conspiracy to kill Kennedy. And I think the other 20% are just really holding on to the fact that they could just somehow wish the establishment into being the good guys. Now, unfortunately now, we live in a society that is completely out of touch with reality. You understand that the most important thing in your life is what your Sunday football matchup is. And I understand. The gladiatorial events are very fascinating, and they're very fun, and they're good distractions. I would be all for being into football if you cared about liberty for the first six, week, six days of the week, or even five days a week, or even one hour a day. But the challenge is you don't care about individual sovereignty or liberty enough. For one day, just one day, to educate yourself, read a book, and not read some, you know, Twilight, or as fun as it may seem, the, um, the new Hunger Games book. Don't read stuff like that. Read intellectual writings. Read writings coming out of Congress. Read testimonies that happened. What happened at the end of World War II? Wait a minute. There was an actual coup to try to take over America with 600 or with 500,000 um, Marines, both current and, and former? There was, a, there was a real attempted coup in America? 
that's kind of stuff that should interest you. Like, wait a minute. We're not invincible. We don't have this golden dome around us. We're, we're not in, you know, ensheathed in this, in this veil of impenetrability. We are very much vulnerable. And currently, we're the most vulnerable, we're the most vulnerable nation on the planet because of the way the economic system works. And because we, unfortunately, house the arbiter of destruction, the Federal Reserve System, the key banking anchor, part of the group that transfers money from the Federal Reserve to the Bank of England, to the Vatican. Yes, I went there, everybody. Look at the Jesuits and how they developed their tools of control with, with, uh, with Catholicism. Look at the American public and the American education system, how it was set up. And I'm learning more about this every day of my life because I want people to have the facts and I want people to understand that we've been conditioned. We're not slaves to our own, we're not slaves to our own demise. You are completely and utterly capable of breaking your trance and breaking your thought process and questioning and saying this doesn't make sense. Because I'm reading a book called Mere Christianity by um, C.S. Lewis, and he breaks it down into very simple terms. Is it, is it something that is very governing to almost every human being? Except for psychopaths, of course. We have to, you got to throw those guys out. And once again, referencing my statement from earlier, corporations are psychopaths, so put them off to the side. But most human beings would believe that there is a system of how we should conduct with one another, whether it's commerce or whether it's just moral integrity. Call it what you will. Natural law is what it used to be called. We don't even talk about that anymore. And that would say, if I rip somebody off, I feel bad. And the reason that I feel bad is there should be there is a there is a moral understanding between two individuals on the same planet that say that we have okay, I'm going to do right by you because that's what it's it's it's, it's expected of me being a human being. See the problem with humans, and unfortunately, this is the problem with everybody. So you have to really work at it. You have to try. You have to push. You have to, you have to not be complacent. The natural flow for human beings is to imagine what would be an upstanding human being and then never do it. We all fall guilty to that. We all fall guilty to, I would expect for this person to treat me like that because that's how I would like to be treated. It's the golden rule. It's very simple. Treat others how you would expect to be treated. But here's the problem. We run into this bout of selfishness, and it's propagated through the mass media in our culture to be selfish, and that's how you get ahead. You step on other people. You push people around. You have conflict. You yell. You fight. That's how you get things done. And that, unfortunately, is not the case. If anything, it's the exact opposite. So... If you look at other ancient cultures, like the Romans, it's the same kind of thing. They degraded the same way that we are. The, the Japanese are degrading as well. Everybody, every culture almost around the planet is degrading. Why? Because we're losing a moral compass. We have thought that greed is good because some guy on some movie said it you know, in the 80s, and now it's propagated throughout the entire, you know, the entire culture. We have to take a step back. We have to understand what we're all facing. We're facing real issues. Climate change is still up for debate. Don't sit here and tell me that you have scientific proof and evidence because, once again, sorry, I have family members that have doctorates in biology, and they say it's poppycock, and they've been studying biology for over 25 years. I have actually read some of the literature from the Club of Rome where they talked about how they were going to convince humanity. Remember, they've already decided. If you read the Club of Rome documents, it's a very good primer for what you're facing here in your modern society. The Club of Rome documents said that humans are too intellectually incompetent. This is not verbatim, but it, I'm, it's paraphrasing. We are too intellectually incompetent, and we have no self-will in order to sustain a proper, a proper number of birth rate to death rate, which means that a death rate solution must be implemented. 
So right there, all of the top think tank people in the world, of course, this is right after the World War II and the baby boom. So it probably did look like we were going to basically populate our way into oblivion and nobody would ever have any room to move around because of the rate of growth. But the rate of growth stabilized. Why did it stabilize? Well, because the more educated you are and the more, um, the more technology you have and the more success you have and the more enlightenment you have, the less children you need because you can have two children and both of those children will probably live. Or you can have three children and two of them will live. Unlike in Africa where they have to have six children to have three or four of them survive. But what happens if they have six children and all six survive? Now they've run into a population challenge. So the Club of Rome also stated that it was going to pollute the entire planet and make it you know, using corporations to do most of the polluting. Now remember, people of you that love the, the carbon tax and you love to, to feel guilty about polluting the earth. Well, let me let you in on a little secret. 50 of the top transportation vessels on the planet create more CO2 emissions than all the cars on the planet in one year. So it is not us, the individuals, although that's what they will tell you, because they have made things unsustainable. They've made computers unsustainable. They have made cell phones unsustainable. They have all of these things that are unsustainable on purpose. Not saying that they couldn't create these, because remember... You have to have a new product to sell next year. You have to have a new – so we have to change the way that we think about things in this world. We have to change it. Otherwise, it's over. And you know what? It's probably going to be blamed on America. We're probably going to get a really big backlash. And as my friend Josh Wiley would say, he believes that he, um, America has basically – we deserve what we're going to get. We're a completely dumbed-down society. That focuses on nothing but consumption. That very rarely cares about the environment. All we care about is entertainment and what's coming next. The unfortunate thing is humans in general have a very, very short-term, um, short-term goals. And that's not our fault. That's basically how you survived. That's how our entire species survived. You had to think, well... If I can just dodge this tiger, I might be able to find something to eat tomorrow. So long-term strategies aren't typically in, in your makeup, but you have to make them in your makeup. Does that make any sense? You have to make that part of your personality, long-term strategies. That's the reason that corporations and, and anybody that's successful in business will say you have to have a you know, three-, five-, and ten-year plan because that's stratagem. That's not… That's what the global elite and the people that rule this planet have been doing for over 100 years. They've been doing this. They, they get the brightest – and I mean read, read the last will and testament of Cecil John Rhodes. It's the same thing. I'm going to establish these um, scholarships using my De Beers money from the De Beers diamond um, dynasty. I'm going to use this money to fund the brightest people in the world. We're going to have – them placed all over the planet to bring about this one goal. And that's what they want to do. They want to bring about a one world with them on top and you being the serfs. And so we're rapidly approaching that point. And it's not conspiracy theory. I mean, just look around you. Just because it's not on mainstream media doesn't mean that it's not happening. Just because it's not on the front page of your paper doesn't mean these things aren't happening. If you go and read old books and how the old books and the strategies they created back 50, 60, even 100 years ago, or you can go back to the allegory of the cave of Plato. It's the exact same thing. That was 2,500 years ago. They create the illusion of reality. You buy into the illusion because it's very simple. Remember, everything in today's modern-day culture is very simple. Remember um, the interview that I did with Ben Swan. He said, since when did we go from the news asking all the questions to the news having all the answers? And that's a very good microcosm of what we're experiencing now. People turn into the news for a variety of reasons, but mostly it's two different things. They turn into the news because they want to get validation of their ideological belief and their belief system, and they want to be told that everything's okay. 
Because if the television doesn't tell the television tells them that everything's okay, then they can still live in the delusion. They can still have the illusion with the ones and zeros in their bank account that they're actually wealthy. When in reality, you have nothing. You have a digital bank account with ones and zeros. And then you can go get paper fake money that isn't worth anything. And it's not exchangeable for anything. Except for goods and trinkets. As long as those goods and trinkets have value. So I do have one article that I wanted to get into. I actually had four, but I um, spent most of the time on philosophy. But I hope you guys have enjoyed the show so far. Um, once again, please follow me on Twitter. We are not cattle the number one. Um, you can friend me on Facebook. You can find me through the um, We Are Not Cattle, or you can just search my name, Jake Counts, on Facebook, and you can friend me on that. I'm actually running out of slots, but feel free to uh, join in. And um, also like the YouTube channel and check out the new video that says that um, it's uh, under We Are Not Cattle TV. It's entitled um, We Are All Criminals because technically we are. You create a bunch of crime, or you actually commit a bunch of crimes on a daily basis. So um, whether you get caught or not, that's really up to the person that's the arresting officer at the time. So anyway, last article for tonight, everybody, and then I'll let you um, enjoy the rest of your holiday week. I will not be doing a podcast on Thursday, but once again, if you like the message, if you like what you hear from from me, um, be sure to spread the message. Um, also, call into the show whenever you get a chance. Had a bunch of nice callers call in, but I'm um, not taking calls tonight. I will take calls on uh, Tuesday to hear about your Thanksgiving and, you know, once again, share some knowledge with everyone. So this actually comes from uh, Paul Craig Roberts, uh, org. And um, for those of you that don't know, Paul Craig Roberts was the chief policymaker under Ronald Reagan. And his article is entitled The Dying Dollar. Kind of poignant for tonight's um, discussion. It says, since 2006, the dollar has experienced one quarter to one third drop in value to the Chinese yen, depending on your basis of choice or your choice of base. It says, now China is going to let the dollar decline further in value. China also says it's considering undermining the petrol dollar by pricing oil futures in Shanghai Futures Exchange in yen. That's a really big deal, everybody, by the way. Remember, the petrol dollar is basically what keeps America cranking. This is a top of a growing avoidance to the dollar to settle debt imbalances. means that the dollar's role as the reserve currency is coming to an end. Another huge deal. Which means the determination of the dollar is a fiscal bully and a financial – which means determination of the U.S. as a fiscal bully and fiscal imperialist. This blow to the dollar, in addition to blows to the delivery of, by jobs of offshoring and completely uncovered bets and gambling casinos created by the financial deregulation, means that the U.S. economy, as we know it, is coming to an end. The U.S. economy is already in shambles with box and, or excuse me, with bond and stock prices propped up by massive and unprecedented Fed money printing and pouring liquidity into the financial asset prices. This month at the INF annual conference, former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers, um, I would give him the A-hole of the universe award if I could, said the achievement of full employment in the U.S. economy would require negative real interest rates. And anybody that knows anything about economics probably just crap their pants right now. Uh, negative real interest rates could only be achieved by eliminating cash, moving to a digital money that would be kept only in banks, and penalizing people for savings, which is actually what the bounce banks announced um, earlier this week. If you were paying attention, they said that they might be charging people for um, creating deposits, which in essence is a um, negative interest rate. So anyway, fun times ahead. Um, and continuing, the future is developing preciously as we have been predicting. Or excuse me, this future has been developing precisely as I have been predicting. As the dollar enters its death throes, the lawless Federal Reserve and Wall Street criminals will increase the shorting of gold, of course, in the paper futures market, and thereby driving the, rem the remnants, driving the remnants of the West gold into Asian hands. Which, if anybody has been paying attention to financial markets, understands that China has been buying tons of gold, and the global elite have been buying tons of gold. 
Meanwhile, all telling you that the price of gold is going down because they're doing what's called naked shorts, which naked shorts are really, really sketchy because there's a three-day trading period. And that's a lot of stuff to take in. So anyway, I might have to do a whole show on on how um, naked shorts work. And if you want a, um, if you want a crash course in it, um, go listen to Peace Revolution. Uh, I think it's episode number five where they interviewed the CEO of um, Overstock.com, who is a Harvard-trained economist who basically blew the whistle on how um, yeah, the economy's rigged. And every person I tell that to that's had success in the system looks me dead in the face and says, you just don't know the market. Um, actually, sir, I probably know more about the market than you do, and that's quite okay that you believe that this imaginary casino is going to bring you wealth when the only thing that's going to happen is that they're going to do exactly what they've done in Italy and other countries where they try to get as much wealth into the system as possible. And that's why you hear people like the new chairman of the Federal Reserve saying that you don't need to save money. You need to put your money into Wall Street because they understand that the dominoes are slowly falling and there is nothing that they can do to prop it up. And that's a really sad thought, but it's also a very enlightening thought. If we wake up enough people and get them to pay attention to the fraud that has been sold to them, then we can actually hold the people accountable. That's a big word that we never use here in America. Hold people accountable for the actions that they have taken in order to destroy this economy. And it's not like we don't know who's behind all this. The dissolution of Glass-Steagall was um, in part by Bernie Summers and Bill Clinton and a couple of their, their under um, Goldman Sachs chums over there that have helped to destroy your economy. And um, you can look at the ways that the Federal Reserve has basically um, pushed its way into the world reserve currency and taking us off the gold standard and all of these little things. Now, am I saying that a gold standard would have saved us? Probably not, but at least keeps you at bay and not putting it on something as just absolutely ludicrous as, um, as the petrol dollar. Now, the significance of the petrol dollar in and of itself is kind of crazy, and the fact that any oil that's purchased anywhere in the world has to be – first, you have to convert your currency into U.S. dollars, and then you can buy your oil and vice versa. So anyway, it's a big mess, everybody, and um, i got three minutes left, so let's see if I can hit this really quick, and hopefully I can read most of this article. And this is one that really scares the crap out of me, so I always like to read these at the end. How scientists are learning how to shape our memory. And it says um, – I'm just going to skip the first paragraph because it talks about PTSD. And it says several studies have found that chemical compounds that can be used over – can be used to subdue, even delete memories in mice. In June, a report from Emory University right here in my great state of Georgia, research showed that SR8993, a drug that acts as a brain opiate receptors, can prevent – a fear memory from forming. So basically what they would probably want to do is apply this to the military after they go massacre a bunch of kids. Basically give them – this would be like an amnesic that they would give these people and then just say, hey, get out on the battlefield. Everything's great. Everything's peaches. But this – I mean this whole article is absolutely crazy. I will post this under my news feed under wearenotcattle.net so you guys can check it out right after the show. I'll go ahead and put it there. I'm also going to put up there a um, – Another one under the news tab that says um, why the antibiotic world is a real-life version of the zombie apocalypse, stating that we have basically overused antibiotics. The reason that I don't use them currently, unless I'm deathly, deathly ill, is because now people are starting to um, not have effects to them and also that they are becoming resistant. So, Or some of these superbugs are now becoming resistant to them. So just um, – Enjoy life, everyone. Once again, take every day for what it is. Make sure to maximize every day because we never know what tomorrow holds. And always take some time to enlighten yourself, even if it's an hour or 30 minutes. Pick up a book. Read something. Start up a conversation with somebody. Have something valuable in your life that is not materialistic, and we'll all live in a better world. Remember, everybody, get a friend. Get informed. Get involved. Follow me if you can. Much love if you share the podcast, and we'll see you guys back here next Tuesday. I will be fielding your phone calls and probably do a two-hour show. So thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, it's been a real pleasure.